As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Jerry Jones calling you back? Put him through. Owner of the Cowboys. I know who he is. Been waiting for this call for a while. Harry Goat. Jerry, how the hell are you? I'm well. You're a persistent fellow. I haven't gotten to where I am by giving up easily. You know, either you or your staff have called me 25 times this week. Well, we wanted to make sure you got the message. I got the message. I understand you want to sell our TV rights. Understand that you want us to sell your TV rights. Confident. I delivered, Jerry. Always have. Ask anyone. Even my wife was in the car. He always delivers, Mr. Jones. Always nice to hear from the missus, but uh, let me tell you why I'm calling. A couple of associates and I are flying out to L.A. this afternoon and only be there for the day. How's two o'clock sound to you? We can make that work. Great. Wow me like you wow your wife. You got it. Sexy accent. Jake, clear my schedule and get as much information as you can, old guy. Will do. And the only thing else I got to say is, How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys indeed? The Cowboys have cut down their final roster for 2022. The season is just around the corner. I can taste it already. But not until we break down this roster. We got initial reaction for you this week. We'll do our annual patented Cowboys roster tier next week and the off week before the season but this is going to be a good time just reacting to this, getting some thoughts on the end of the preseason as we uh, look towards week one. So welcome in. It's the About Them Cowboys podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. Kent here producing and welcoming in three of the best of the best when it comes to breaking down all things Dallas Cowboys. We've got Saad Youssef back on the Cowboys beat. He'll be hanging around the star sometimes this season, being in the locker room maybe, and uh, being on our podcast as much as possible while not covering the Dallas Stars, we've got Father John Mashoda, who was basically calling the shots on this 53-man roster thing on Twitter. We'll get his thoughts. And of course, our host from the Ben and Skin Show, it's Kevin KT Turner. Hey, KT. Hello, Kent and uh, fellas. It's it's cut down day. We made it. We didn't get cut from the podcast. In fact, we, we welcomed Sod back in. So that's Dave Hellman did get cut, though. Yeah, sorry, Dave. Sorry, man. R.I.P. Choices have to be made in life. Choices have to be made in life. Um, <laughs> as we go to uh, to John, you are all over it. You got you know roster projections, things like that. The one thing that's odd is the NFL cut down day is a little less fun to me than it used to be because of all of the uh, I guess we'll call it gymnastics that you can play to manipulate the roster. For instance. On 53-man cut-down day, the Cowboys have one quarterback, not three, not two, one. Yeah, and they're not going to have just one quarterback week one, obviously. So I'm guessing that they probably get Cooper Rush back. um, And I would see a Will Greer possibly been on the practice squad if he doesn't get claimed by another team. But there's not going to be any major changes there. Cooper Rush or Will Greer, they're going to have a backup quarterback. It's just this is what they did to get – certain guys onto the roster. So that was a little surprising. I agree with you, KT. It, it does kind of take away from the fun a little bit. That, 
Uh, we saw it last year with special teams. We saw it again this year with special teams. You know, Brett Maher is, is a cut. Jake McQuaid, the long snapper, they're both obviously going to be on the team. So, you know, that that's one of those things where it makes you sit there and think, okay, so my last 53-man projection was about what it'll be week one just because I knew that this was how it was going to be. It was just not going to be the legit, like today, having Tyron Smith on there, having James Washington on there. Both those guys are going to IR. So that'll open up two spots right there. In terms of things that caught my eye, not a lot of surprises here. I would say Rico Dowdle and Malik Davis was a close competition at that number three running back spot. They went with Rico Dowdle. Uh, they're going to try and get Malik Davis back to their practice squad. Malik Davis, the guy that they had in, is one of their 30 visits. They liked him a lot. He he looked good in the preseason. I don't know that anyone's going to really claim him. I think there's a decent chance he gets back to the practice squad. Um, and then here's the other thing, like third running back. I mean, we like to compare and stuff because we'd see these guys a lot in the preseason. But Cowboys, third running back. I mean, who was their third running back last year, guys? Mm, Rico well, Dowdle. Right? Dowdle got hurt. No. He got hurt. Oh. So... Man, the what I'm a good what a good form of Cowboys trivia here because yeah, Dowdle got hurt. This Get, takes what's me back what? to like when. Go ahead. They Go didn't have one. Did what's they? his letter start with? Yeah, they didn't have C. one. C. C. Didn't have okay. His last second, name. Second letter. C. His initials are C C. C C. Oh 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 Corey Clement. Yeah. <laughs> um. Who was so it the stupid. year before that? Uh, oh, geez. Uh, initials? R.D. Oh, um, uh, Rod, uh, no, uh, no. I was thinking Rod It's Rico Dowdle. Rico Dowdle, okay. How, yeah. many car- how many carries do you think he had? About three. Seven. Seven. Uh, 2018 and 2019 was the same guy would be their third running back. Who do you think it was? Rod Smith. No. One of those years, Rod Smith was, one of those years, one of those years, Rod Smith was their number two. But was in terms of- Jackson? No, in terms of carries, both years, it was Tavon Austin with a whopping both oh years, God. six carries apiece. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, I guess if guys get hurt, whatever, but if you tell me Zeke and, and Tony Pollard get hurt to the level where you're going to your number three back, this season's a trash bag anyway. Yeah. So anyway, have, let's move on. It'd have to be Sorry. Like the Ravens from last year, you know, yeah, something just, like that happened. Just wanted to throw that one remember, out there. I just remember that Darius Jackson was the, was one of the last running backs. I remember that got all this hype of like, oh my God, if – if you, if we don't put him on the roster, he's not right. gonna make it. And then right. and they like snuck him on there, and then he barely ever played for the team. So it's not just a Cowboys thing; it's just that the rest of the league isn't. This isn't 1987. Like they're not <laughs> killing to get you know three, four backs on the team because they need to get all these extra carries. So uh, there's just not as much demand at a running back. To any, anything, I would be surprised if the Malik Davis Rico Dowdle thing came. Well, I'm I'm pretty confident it came down to experience, but. That that third running back spot, a big part of that is probably what John Fossil had to say. Like, which one helps you more in special teams? That's where they're going to make a bigger impact. So that's the one I just bring that up because Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle is probably the one that fans talk about the most because you got to see the most of those two guys because they played so much in the preseason. Um, when preseason, I mean, when training camp started, there's no way anybody would have had Peyton Hendershot over Sean McCune. But if you watched any of these preseason games, you could just tell Peyton Hendershot was heading in the great right direction. Sean McCune dealing with a knee injury. So Hendershot makes the team as the third tight end over McCune. McCune, I think, is a guy they're going to try and get back on the practice squad, somebody that they like. So uh, one other one I will say is I was a little surprised they kept six linebackers, you know, and the last two being... Uh, Luke Gifford and then Devin Harper, their sixth round pick. I thought it'd be one or the other. I didn't think they would keep both. And so uh, those are obviously both special teams guys. Uh, run linebackers, much like running back, they're using less of them every day in the NFL. So that's a huge special teams position. So that was kind of intriguing to me that they kept six there instead of five. But everything else, eleven defensive backs, eleven defensive linemen. We had talked about that. That's not a huge surprise. Only nine offensive linemen. You might only have seven that you even think are NFL worthy. So that's not a huge surprise. You wouldn't keep more there. Um, and then wide receiver, you know, you go with, I think it was eight. Well, you know, Cavante Turpin's one of those guys. And then Gallup and James Washington are two of them. You're not expecting anything out of them early in the season. So it's really more like five or six. And that's what your norm is there. So, yeah, not a, not a lot of huge surprises here. Yeah, I guess Carlos Watkins is household name because he sure. started last year. You know, uh, so that's. But other than that, it's kind of what we thought. Um, I mean, there's oh, one a other bit- thing. One other thing I want to point out. Uh, Rob Phillips uh, tweeted about this from DallasCowboys.com. I thought this was interesting. Out of the Shout 53, 
Out of their 53-man roster, 46 guys had, have either been drafted by the Cowboys or signed by the Cowboys as undrafted rookie free agents. So uh, very homegrown, 46 out of your 53. And even when they make some adjustments to this roster, like I anticipate them adding an offensive lineman, not anybody that's going to be a starter, but somebody as a depth piece, that'll be somebody from another team. But you're going to move, uh, let's see here, you're going to get... McQuaid back on the roster, long snapper. He's not homegrown, but Brett Maher, he got his NFL start. He's going to get back on the roster with the Cowboys. Um, Cooper Rush, I think, will be back on the roster. He got to start with the Cowboys. So even after the, you know they finish juggling everything for week one, I think it's still going to be pretty close to that. And I obviously haven't had the time to go through every single team's roster, but I find it hard to believe that there's many teams that have that much more homegrown talent on their 53 than the Cowboys do. Which is what you want, right? Well, I believe the homegrown talent is, is talent. I mean, that's like, I mean, I don't know how, like, you know, it's fine that they've done so much of it internally, but at the same time, like, you know, when you have 20 million in cap space, maybe you could have done something to have a better roster. You don't, it doesn't, I mean, it's not a, it's not, it's not a feather in your cap if it's all homegrown and then you have all these holes on your roster. I mean, I wrote about it recently, you know, I, I went back, I went through every team that made it to the Super Bowl. Over since 2010, and there aren't many that that got. And I'm not talking about win the Super Bowl; just got to the Super Bowl that didn't have somebody that was a key piece on their team that they added from another team. Like that, I mean, you got to go back to 2010 Steelers, and then there's some there's some of those Patriots teams sprinkled in there, uh, and then even a little bit with McCarthy's Packers. But even McCarthy's Packers still had Charles Woodson, st- still had a Julius Peppers, you know. And you just look at these teams recently, like. Chiefs pretty homegrown. I'm not saying that Tyron Matthews was their best player on those teams. I don't know if they get to Super Bowl without Tyron Matthews. He was a huge piece. That was a huge addition to those teams. And then obviously there's those Rams teams with, you know, what they did last year. That's obviously over the top. The Bucks when they won it, they went out, gave whatever it was, 10, 14, I can't remember what it was, million to Indomitian Sioux. All these teams had at least one piece in here where you're like, well, we got to go get this guy. This will help put us over the top, you know, and it might not have been added early that season. Maybe it was added a season before. But when you look back on these Super Bowl rosters, uh, you know, look at the Bengals last year with Hendrickson. I mean, every one of them, there's a pattern. They all did something. And the Cowboys had done that with Amari Cooper. So that tells you that maybe they will do it again. But if they don't do it again, it's great to have a homegrown roster, but how far do you really think this team's going without that? I mean, this this roster, you look at it, especially without Tyron Smith, it needs a significant bump from somebody. And and I mean somebody outside the building. I think a fully homegrown roster is mostly just a good thing if you're giving all these guys that you drafted big contract extensions because that means that they're really good players. But if you have a homegrown roster and a bevy of cap space, I, I don't think that's that's a very smart way of doing roster construction. If you're so, instance- I, will, I will say this. If it's a perfect world... I think the Cowboys are one of the best teams, maybe the Super Bowl favorites right now in a perfect world on just, I'm going to say three moves are different. And this is without, if, it, if they want to do it just all homegrown. No Guillain, no Guillain Barre for Travis Frederick. Tyron Smith ends up being healthier longer than he has. I mean, I and, and I don't think that either of these are an outlier. How many guys have ended their career after getting Yan Bure as a center yeah. like that? Like centers usually play a long time, especially at the level he was playing. Tyron Smith, the way he's built, he looks like no almost no other offensive lineman. If you were going to sit there and you were going to look at every offensive lineman and go, all right, I can't tell you anything about any of these guys. Pick which one you think is going to have the longest career just by looking at these guys. You would be, oh, well, this guy right here looks like he was made out of a factory. Of course, yes, we're going to go with this guy. I mean, he looks like what you would a create a player for an, for elite offensive linemen. So then your offensive your your offense is way better. If you just have Frederick and Tyron Smith still playing at an elite level, your offense is tremendously better. Even with where they are at wide receiver, you can get it done because you you're you're still one of the best offensive lines. And then the other piece is that you got to draft TJ Watt over Taco Charlton. If they would have done that, they go into this season, I think they're the best team in the NFL. Yeah, and I think like uh, it's a little bit of a dead horse, so I don't want to stay on this too long, but I mean I just I look at what the Eagles did today, making a trade for Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who's a very good defensive back. Didn't have to give up a lot to get him, um, and then it's like they now they may have to pay him. That's something they can they're going to deal with that down the road. And they've got Darius Slay, and they've got other guys that they can you know talk about paying. So that's that's something they can do down the road. But it just makes you go, man. 
We, uh, you know, as the each month goes by, the Eagles creep up roster wise to the Cowboys, and the only difference is, you know, that I think we'd all take Dak over Jalen Hurts by a lot. And it's like, man, if you if you had Amari Cooper and maybe if you had Lyle Collins, you might feel way better about uh, the Cowboys winning the division, and that's where it, it gets frustrating. So I, I mean, I understand the the ire that's being thrown towards the front office, and some of that's going to land on McCarthy's uh, front porch. And some of that might end up landing on Dak's front porch. That's that's something that you know I've been thinking about a lot. Is well now the Tyron Smith injury happens, and you've got a lot going on there. Now I do want to ask John: Is the well, way hold on, hold on, hold on. Before yeah. I don't want to cut you off because I do like where you're going with this. Because hey, you say catching up. I think the Eagles roster is past the Cowboys with Tyron Smith injury whole, and that, yeah. and them not upgrading. The, I have the Eagles as the favorite now in the division, and that's with. Me saying, without question, I, I want Dak Prescott over Jalen Hurts. But there's only so much you can do. And their roster, they have, they've been aggressive. Howie Roseman has done a great job of being aggressive with that roster. And you got to go all the way back to, what, 2017? It seemed to work for them. For the Cowboys, you got to go back to, what, 1995? I'm, I'm going to say that the Eagles are, are doing things more like today, the, the right way, than the way the Cowboys have been operating I mean, I think Will McClay's done a tremendous job on drafting and adding players. I mean, obviously, Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb. I mean, the list goes on. He's done a great job there. But it's Jerry Jones is gonna, is, has to be the one. He's the general manager. He has to be the one to make an aggressive move here or there. And you just look at this roster, and I just don't get the feeling that that's even ha- – I don't know how anybody can get the feeling. So with what you said about the Dak and McCarthy thing, the reason I'm bringing this up is because – You'd have to be foolish to just put all the blame on those two guys. When you see what this team has done in the offseason and barring an Amari Cooper-like trade during the season, yeah, there, there's plenty of in-game blame that we'll be able to put on Mike McCarthy if, if we see the penalties again and there's bad clock management or if Dak's just throwing some just terrible balls that you're just like, man, what is this guy doing? Like, what? I, he looks like he's regressed. They'll have blame. No, oh, oh, They'll get their blame. But you'd be foolish to put all the blame on them and not on the front office for not giving them a better roster. Because there's nobody that can sit at this roster as they cut down to 53 and say, damn, this is a roster I think is going to make a Super Bowl run. And, and I can easily see where the Cowboys are are uh, are better than the Eagles this year. I can easily see that happening. A lot of that goes to the quarterback. We know that. But look what they did for their quarterback, too. We Instead of cutting a, a wide receiver who would be a one or a two, well, we're going to go acquire A.J. Brown. And it just, it's just, when you look at it, you go, well, you had this opportunity of years of this division being, but, and now you're like, why didn't we take advantage of the division being, but we, we actually, why would we go back? And if, if the strategy is, and and Jerry's comments have been interesting. Um, And I know there's a lot of, a huge portion of the fan base that could give a rat's butt about what. Jerry says at this point anymore, but it's very, but it does matter. Let me just say it does matter. He's the final decision maker and he's the owner of the team. So everybody that says all the time, like, I don't care what he has to say. Well, then you don't care about the game. You don't care about the team. You probably shouldn't watch on Sundays then because you, if you are at that level of not caring, then you certainly shouldn't go to a game and you shouldn't turn the team on because this is the person that's making all of the decisions. He's the final decision maker. So even what he's saying, if it comes off as ridiculous, you still should want to know, especially for someone who is as visible and, and his talks as much as he does. It is interesting to hear what his thought process is on a lot of these things. And, and here's the other part. You also got to understand this, too. And the longer I've covered the team, the more I've realized this. Don't think that just because Jerry says something in a long-winded way that these are all just his own thoughts. A lot of the stuff he's telling you is stuff that other people within the building are telling him. Like, you think that he's sitting there. He goes on the radio this morning, and he's asked about who are, who has stood out to him in training camp. Do you think that Jerry's cutting up tape just after he's just getting him a griddle, salting it, and just going through every single— When when, he, when he's finding the Quentin Bohan— No, someone's telling him that Quentin Bohan is tearing it up. He can notice things in, in games and stuff like that. But this guy's trying to get deals done with blockchain.com. He's trying to get blue carpet events going on. Like, you can't seriously believe that he's sitting there— trimming up this tape and, and looking at everything and, and and just constantly two phones in his hand, like Howie Roseman style, trying to like upgrade the roster. Let's be serious here. We know that's not him, but he's taking stuff that he's hearing from in the building and he's repeating a lot of that stuff. That's why he'll talk about t- Tristan Hill and Sam Williams and Quentin Bohannon. He's not just going to throw those names out there unless he's heard people in the building that are watching all of the tape tell him, hey, this guy's the one that's been stepping up. 
But, but is your interpretation, actually I'll ask you as well, Saad, is your interpretation of some of Jerry's comments so far that they are taking a step back? Because when he keeps bringing up last year's playoff loss and keeps saying, we were in such a great position, I almost feel like he has accepted that they are taking a step back to go two steps forward next year. Is that y'all's interpretation of some uh, of the seems bitter. He seems bitter to me. Like, like I, I put out to this roster last year. I gave you one of the best rosters that we've we've had here in over 10 years, and you guys came up short. And so I'm not going to be putting anything else into this. You guys go win with what you have right now and do it this way. Whether he's whether he's angry at McCarthy, whether you can't rule out that he's still not upset that Dak worked him on that $40 million a year, year deal to where he's like, all right, you wanted 40 mil? We thought we'd be able to get you for 36. Go win. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. If you don't think that it's realistic, then why isn't Jimmy Johnson in the ring of honor? If you don't think he can't hold a grudge like that, and I'm sorry, it sounds ridiculous to think this way, but you cannot 100% rule it out. No, I agree with that. And also, I think that, you know, I, I think Dave Hellman made made a good point a couple weeks ago. Um, when you look at the fact that, you know, they signed Dak to that $40 million deal, and then they just kind of went hands off. Like, it just kind of... You know, what Hellman made the point was look at the Chiefs and how they treat Patrick Mahomes. And after after he got his big deal and after he's proven to be everything that he is, he's better than he's better than Dak, but still gets more help. And I think you're right, John. Like, I think for for Jerry, he's like, it's almost the fans approach, like gave you 40 million dollars. Now do something about it. You know, like it's the uh, it's what it's what ran Tom Brady out of New England at the end there as well. Where you're not giving him enough help, then he's just going to leave. But I think with uh, with with uh, Dak for Jerry, it's just one of those things where he, you know, he gave him all that money. Now he expects him. It, it, it's so like 2019 when it comes to receivers, where it's like, okay, if, if Dak is the franchise quarterback, then he's going to make all these receivers look a lot better. And it's just not how it works. I also like the, the, there's always like a if doing the hokey pokey, just kind of keeping one foot in there a little bit though, like. You can do all those things that you're kind of talking about, like, hey, but then the tyrant thing happens and then you get your pants pulled down because you don't have a swing tackle ready to go. And your rookie first round pick who you were projecting for long term is not ready to go. Granted, Tyler Smith could could like ruin a lot of the the narratives from from Cowboys talkers and fans the last couple of weeks. If Tyler Smith steps in and just happens to be really good or above average and is not a penalty magnet and is not openly getting Dak killed. And Connor McGovern has taken a bit of a step forward. Like they've been telling us all these things we've been talking about could, could go away. And I think that's important to remember. I don't know that I expect it to happen. And I'm very concerned about the first half of the season. Yeah. What's more realistic? What's more realistic that happening or Terrence Steele, maybe not being as good as they thought he was. Tyler Biotish really not improving at all like they were hoping he was. Connor McGovern kind of looks like the guy that they tried to give left guard to last year, didn't win the job. Tyler Smith gets a bunch of holding calls because although he shows signs he's going to be really good uh, left tackle for them in the future, as of right now, he's not ready to, to handle Shaq Barrett. And so instead of Shaq Barrett blowing by him, He's holding Shaq Barrett, you know, and, and those are drive killers. Or he's letting Shaq Barrett go by him because he missed an assignment or something and, and didn't see him on, on a certain move. And then, you know, Dak's on the ground. And so uh, I just think it's a little bit unrealistic to think that what you're talking about works if it's like a perfect scenario. But I just want to state that even pre-Tyron Smith injury, this obviously was not going to be a strong offensive line. No, and I think there's some some level of maybe getting lost in the hope. Jerry is the ultimate optimist. You look at what Terrence Steele was two years ago, and then the way that he was last year, and they're like, okay, maybe maybe Terrence Steele is going to improve that much more, or maybe, like you said, Connor McGovern does that. But I do think it's a lot of cup half full thinking, and it's not being very pra- you know practical about it. I just can't believe if you're the Dallas Cowboys that you know you're in a situation you are right now. I mean. You're not the Jaguars. You're not the Bears right now. You're not the Lions. You're not in a rebuild. Like, why wouldn't you be trying to go? No one's saying go out and do what the Rams did. But, I mean, make a move here or there. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Why you would just sit like, like you just, oh, well, we just won Super Bowls a couple years ago. You know, we'll get back there. We're just got to retool this thing. Like, you're, you haven't won any Super Bowls and you haven't gotten close to winning Super Bowl. This team, if with a couple of the right moves to kind of put it over the top, this could be the team. You know, they build off of what happened last year 
and then they take it to the next level. But at some point, you got to have the talent that matches up with that. And they, and I do think, by the way, I do think they do have that talent on defense. I think the defense is going to be damn good. But I just look at that offensive line, and I'm, I mean, they're just that could be a disaster. And they've gone so out of their way over the years to make it not be a, a disaster. It seems like, and it just didn't take much for that house of cards to collapse on them. I guess. Did you have something there, Kent? I like this. You know, uh, Jerry maybe you know, sabotaging McCarthy. You know, good excuse to get it. You know, oh wow, didn't get it done. Oh, sorry. You know, but uh, I don't I'm know if I would use sabotage. I think that's a little strong because I, I, it's not like trying to think of a way to describe it's not like jerry has to prove to you hey this is why we're getting rid of mccarthy he could have fired mccarthy in january and it's not like there would have been people just picket signs in front of the star like how could you do this to our coach like right people would have been like yeah good move on nobody yeah. cares get the next guy in here it's like he doesn't need to do, he's to not do trying to sabotage to, me. he doesn't, he doesn't have excuse. to do that yeah. it's not like he's this um i'm trying to look up a good example all right uh okay he's not, so he's not say, doing as much as he could have to to help his coach out Certainly. Right, he's, he's I mean, not, but a sabotage move would be like this. Here's a hypothetical. Robert Kraft and uh, Bill Belichick behind the scenes, they're, let's say they're button heads over something, who knows, and it's just been growing for the last three or four years. So Robert Kraft could try and have to sabotage Bill Belichick so it looks like Bill Belichick is losing it so we can move on. Because if he just fires Bill Belichick, their fans are going to be like, you're going to fire the greatest coach in NFL history? What are you doing? You know, like... So that would be more of a set. You don't have to do that. Jerry doesn't have to do that in this current situation. So I wouldn't say sabotage. I'm just saying more of a, all right, well, you couldn't do it this way. This was the best team that I thought I could give you. So here, we'll do it. We'll do it this way. We'll do draft and develop and we'll go, we'll go about it this way. I just find it hard to believe that if you bring Mike McCarthy on this podcast, you hook him up to lie detector test that he's fine with where they are on this, on this team that they, there's no way he did not think that they would try and upgrade, especially after Tyron Smith went down. You've got my head going in a million directions, though, because I, I do agree that sabotage is strong. But do not underestimate that a man of Jerry Jones caliber could get mad, right? No get angry question. and hold it. And when you brought up the Ring of Honor, I immediately thought about the reason the three people aren't here and why he keeps regurgitating the availability. Mad at Amari Cooper. We know why. We yep. know what that's about. Mad at Lyle Collins, and we yep. know why. Even though a lot of those guys inside that locker room love Lyle Collins. And the other one, mad at Randy Gregory. Remember, there's another example, like down to the deadline. That That's what that was about. And KT, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because in all three of those situations, if he's talked about that five times this offseason, whether it be in radio interviews, State of the Union, press conference to kick off training camp, or just to reporters off to the side, on and off the record, we'll say, I'm just going to round it to make it a nice even number of five times we'll say he's talked about it. Four for sure, and maybe all five, he's never even was asked a question about it. It was like, I want to get this off my chest. So yeah. to you, you're totally right on that. I mean, he offered that up to start that that press conference in Oxnard. I was like, well, we're doing this? Like, we've, Jerry, I think everybody's moved on from that. That, that was months ago. But it was like, let me, let me be clear. It's about availability. What else could make him mad? Uh, the media and fan base talking about his boy Zeke being under, uh, being, uh, under, um, underperforming, right? That's his guy, right? Zeke, do we know he loves Zeke? Zeke's underperforming. That's why he keeps going, well, we need to run the ball Zeke more. How about Matt at McCarthy for going on whatever that was it the Rich Eisen show or the Dan Patrick show and putting up a little fight and trying to oh, get, yeah. uh, take over the narrative of the Sean Payton rumors. I'm just thinking about the things because now we start talking about players. Then it goes to, uh, well, he could be mad at all the people internally in house as well, and is it? But because, okay, maybe may, there, there may be a level of uh, incompetence is a strong word, but there may be a level of incompetence here. But for them to not look at the division, survey the landscape, and to not go far more in than they are is just upsetting. Like it's just, it makes no sense. Go get it. It's there. They're still running Daniel Jones out there. Like they're gonna try to make that work. It's all here for you. And I hey, just, all three, all three of you guys grew up down here, right? You guys yeah. all grew up like watching the Cowboys. Yeah. When's the last time that going into a season, we're a little over a week away, that I don't know if you want to use pessimism as a word, but it's just it's at where it's at right now, where where you're just kind of like, nah, I don't know, who 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 cares? 
it was probably when that offensive line was so bad in the early Romo years. Um, that was probably somewhere around there. Um, not, because 2007 was really good. And then I feel like there was, there was a year or two in there that was kind of a drop off, um, in terms of the overall vibe and excitement. But, um, yeah, cause right. Eagles put together that dream team in 2010. I think it was around that time, probably when there was probably the, the most level of pessimism, um, since then, other than that, it's been pretty, it's been pretty, pretty much on the up and up. Yeah. I think more people are more, people are probably just more excited about football being back than necessarily strictly the Cowboys being back. Yeah. And it almost used to be like the Cowboys are like bigger than football around here. And it sounds like, well, now I'll just kind of watch everything. And then I know, like we have diehard fans and then there's fans of different levels and things like that. But, but, but you're right. It's, 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 it's obviously less buzz. You, you can end that real quickly by going to beat the Buccaneers on week one on Sunday night. Like, I mean, it doesn't take long for these things to turn. It also doesn't take long for Tyron Smith to, you know, fall down on a practice field and change the looks and things too. Oh, but we were heading in that direction far before the Tyron Smith injury happened. You know, we were already going somewhere. I want to ask you something, John, about uh, just the, the idea of adding someone though. A few notable names were cut. Not, not, I mean, there was the report yesterday from Pro Football Network on uh, Doga from the Jets. There was their, uh, Alex Leatherwood was a, the 17 overall pick in the 2021 draft. So on the waiver wire, the Cowboys are why, 24th or 25th down the line. It's based on last year's standings, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have it in front of me right now, but yeah. that is, it is around but there. It's towards the bottom, yeah. Late 20s. So if they were interested, they could claim someone. Although none of these names made to be exciting to anyone, but to me, I look at it and go, "Well, is and I've been thinking the same thing about Tynaseki. Like, is he better than Josh Ball? If he is, you should go get him. Hell, if you think Chaz Green is better than Josh Ball, you should go get him. <laughs> like, it's it's not going to stunt Josh Ball's growth anymore. If yeah. uh, and hopefully he didn't have to play right because things go well, but it's not going to stunt his growth if he doesn't play any this year. Yeah, and I mean, if you're looking on the waiver wire for depth, that's one thing. But ever since Tyron went down, and you know, I know you guys talked about this, but like, if you're if you're looking at the waiver wire for a replacement or some kind of solution, there, you're looking at a guy who was available because a team thought they that was not one of their top four tackles. Like, and you and you want him to play a significant role, whether that's a starting tackle, your swing tackle, whatever. It's just not. It's just not a really good solution. I mean, you, you have to turn, I, I still wonder if the, if the Cowboys do end up having to go to the trades um, at some point, the way that they had to do a few years ago with Amari Cooper, because that's the only way that you can truly fix a problem as much as possible that Tyron does create. Yeah. They're 24th on, on the waiver wire right now. And yeah, if they add any of these guys that got caught by another team, it's just, it's to be that swing tackle. It's not to be the starting tackle. And then, you know, Tyler Smith goes into left guard or something like that to acquire somebody that would be starting caliber at offensive tackle. You're either going to have to sign like an Eric Fisher, or you're going to have to make a trade for somebody. And they just seem very reluctant to part with any of their picks uh, to make a trade for somebody. So we'll see where that old cap space Jersey we were talking about the other day. Dak better be getting that ball out real quick. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John, I wanted to ask you uh, about Jerry and something he's said, uh, you know, over the past few years about valuing being in the mix. The Cowboys are going to be in the mix this year. You know, they're not going to be in the Super Bowl, but I think they'll be in the mix in the division. How does that make you feel? Do you feel like he's okay with them just being in the mix? I I do. And I, and I just never, I never used to think that. Um, Yeah. There was a, uh, and actually, on that story that I was just talking about, I wrote last week about how all these teams have added at least one player up from outside the building. It was a key piece. Um, somebody in the comments said, because I had mentioned in my lead about how the Cowboys just recently were, you know, they topped Forbes list again, first team worth $8 billion in sports. Somebody responded with, why does that matter? There's a little thing called a salary cap, so it doesn't matter what what the team's worth. If, if there was no salary cap, Jerry would spend whatever for them to win. And I, I responded back. I was like, yeah, I'm going to tell you, I used to think the same exact thing too, but I don't really think that anymore. And I don't. And that's, that's probably the best way I can describe it to you is that there was a time where I used to argue with people that, oh, if Jerry could just, you know, spend everything he could uh, to get a Super Bowl, he would, he would just, he would go get everybody. And if it didn't work, he would just go out and get everybody the next year. And who, and who cares? It just, doesn't matter. You know, there's no salary cap. He would just pay all these guys. It'd be like the Yankees, you know? I don't really think that anymore. I, I, I don't. And and if you're a Cowboys fan, that's got to be stunning to you, especially every year when these things come out saying about how they, every year they keep being worth more and more. And I don't mean more and more like NFL. I mean, like they're the most c- consistently over every sports franchise in all of sports, including the team I just mentioned, the New York Yankees, who have at least every year, 81 home games. I mean, we know that they're printing money in the Bronx and the Cowboys are worth more than them. The Cowboys catering business is worth more than a lot of the teams in the NFL. So <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. And, and it's crazy. Because everything's so extreme with him too, because it's, look, it's a, it's a mountain of a man we're, we're talking about. Yeah, he likes winning. He likes winning just like everyone else likes winning. The thing that's different is that I don't, know that he likes it more than and he's the only owner out there talking about it and things like that more than everyone else and that makes it more extreme does he like winning more than uh david tepper probably not they probably both enjoy winning at the same clip and it doesn't matter because they have so much money actions speak louder than words and the actions i've seen over the last five to seven years howie roseman cares more about winning than the dallas cowboys gm does Man, he re-racked that thing pretty fast. Think about how fast they went from Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles Super Bowl in 2017 to completely gutting the thing. New coach, new quarterback, everything, new skill position, everything. And, and, and they're by already, the way, they're, they're, still set, they're still set for the future, too, with their draft and, and all that stuff. Oh, they're yeah. Still, great draft this year. Like, yeah. So they're still set moving forward. It's not even just like roster management that they've done you know, for, for the past or anything like that. I also like think, hey, the Cowboys also put 92 points on him last year in two games. So, like, I mean, there's a because part of me is like, yeah, you look at the Eagles roster building and you go, man, that's kind of properly doing this. And they are in a position, it's a position that you really don't want to be in. You're probably not going to have to pay their quarterback $40 million, although he could change honestly, that after a year. Honestly, if you're a Cowboys fan and you care more about beating the Eagles than potentially winning the Super Bowl, yeah. I, what, I ain't got nothing for you. I'm just not the guy that you need to be listening to. I'll just be honest with you. That just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I would just, I would rather lose to my rival eight times in a row and win a Super Bowl than to, yeah, but we won the NFC East again. Wow. Cool. Man, I, you sound like somebody who hollered at me on Twitter yesterday. Um, and I, I know they might be a competitor, but I'll, I'll reference the guy. It's a Kevin Clark at the ringer wrote this big story on uh, LaFleur. And I cut this out because it's interesting to me. And he says, the argument that Matt LaFleur suffers from is that he's a beneficiary of Rodgers' talent. And of course he is, but that obscures the fact that if it were so easy to win 13 games, Mike McCarthy would have done it at least one in any of his last seven years at the helm. And I started thinking like, and then some guy on Twitter goes, 
well, I'll take uh, the Super Bowl over uh, a 13 win season. And I was like, you're right, but why couldn't you have both? <laughs> why couldn't we ha- try to have both? I don't understand why we couldn't have both. Hey, Packers fan, quick question on that. Don't you think, though, that they've done a better job upgrading that defense since he's gone? I'm not saying McCarthy would have won 13 games and stuff, but I oh, just yeah. feel like their defense is better than the back end of those last few years he was there. I just don't remember their defense having very much. And like I said, they were they were draft and develop, and they did a great job with Ted Thompson, but they still needed that Charles Woodson piece. They The best teams that Mike McCarthy coached in Green Bay, the ones that went at least to the conference championship game, I think did it four times. Uh, and, and which included the Super Bowl win, as you mentioned, they all had either Julius Peppers or Charles Woodson on there, who yeah. those were significant investments outside of the building on their defense. Those are key pieces. Uh, and I don't know that they were really doing that when he was there towards the end. I mean, well, that 26 this year will tell us a lot, though, you don't you think with with the Devontae Adams move and, you know, like we'll see well, the floors, the floor. We'll see a lot more, I think, out of this year. We'll, we'll this know one, a lot more about him. Yeah. And I might shift this to Kellen a little bit. And I, I know uh, Joe Philbin might be a guy who whose name comes up a lot and all these things do land in the coach's lap sometimes. But, you know, I think that where the Packers upgraded all those years, just Matt LaFleur came in. The reason that didn't work out in Green Bay those years was McCarthy's system got stale and it was still him, his system. And Rodgers was comfortable with just kind of one-on-one matchups. And then they, they overhauled the system. And it's kind of what we thought we were doing with Kellen Moore, right? A little bit. Now he does come from the uh, Scott Linehan coaching tree, but the idea was that we're overhauling the offense and we've seen wrinkles and we've seen uh, big changes in the offense, but I keep going back to what got them beat last year, being the offense, being able to consistently figure it out. I mean, the way last year ended is still shocking. If you go back and really think about it, how they put up these kind of false games against teams who weren't really in it or weren't really playing for much at the end and put up some big point totals at the end of the year, but you could never do it like two weeks in a row. And you'd still run into, and like a week after you put up 51 points, then you come back and you have another bad game struggling against a zone defense and the teams that were dropping defensive backs back. And I, I, I keep like thinking like, what is that? And that's where I think when I get frustrated with McCarthy, it's less about the specific things. It's more, it goes back to, well, what are you adding? And I guess the difference with them, and that might be the difference in last year's Super Bowl champion, the Rams. And that might be the difference in that team in San Francisco who beat you in the playoffs last year. These are all offenses that have added something with their play caller who's also their head coach. I think yeah. that's why the McCarthy hire always kind of bothered me from the, from the beginning. Yeah, KT, that's a that's a good point. But I will say one thing that kind of also stuck in my mind about last season was I think it was after the Denver game or it was after one of those games where they said, look, we have the blueprint to beat the Cowboys. And, and there was the, the scrutiny that Dak was under because, you know, his – his uh, lack of ability to to make certain changes and 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 be in control uh, as much as some other quarterbacks, and I think that's also where again I, I agree with you on the McCarthy front. There, I mean, you're a guy who was who was known as the guy who was there in Kansas City with Joe Montana, then Brett Favre, then Aaron Rodgers, and this quarterback guy. And for me, if Dak is getting that scrutiny, and, and I'm not making an excuse for Dak. But I'm just saying, like, I would like for you to be a little bit more hands-on and make sure that he is able to take those next steps because, by all accounts, Dak's work ethic or anything like that is not the problem. It's not a question mark. Then why are you letting just whatever position coaches and offensive coordinators do their thing and not get more hands-on with someone who came under a, came under a, a pretty bright spotlight last year and when some of the struggles were happening for him not being able to adjust and change and do things at the line of scrimmage and things like that. So I think that's also where I think McCarthy should, uh, you know, be a little bit more involved. And I guess we don't technically know his full involvement. Right. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a, the, the thing that's hard. I, I, I can imagine Kellen Moore and Dak have had meetings since Tyron went down and they're trying to get Tyler Smith back out to practice after his ankle injury and things like that. I imagine those meetings have been like, okay, look, we're going to have to get the ball out. So uh, this is just probably just made Dalton Schultz's uh, check down uh, targets go up even more than they already would have. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Michael Gallup, you're still waiting on Jerry. I think on the radio had some comments about that as well, saying that if it was the Super Bowl, Michael Gallup would be ready to go. But week one is not this team Super Bowl, guys. Real quick, uh, speaking of Jerry on the radio, 
him casually dropping that Tyler Smith is dealing with a high ankle sprain, like, like, I, I mean, I, I don't know, like that's that's a pretty significant injury, um, especially for for a rookie left tackle. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I'll believe it when I see it on the injury report rather than Doctor Jerry. But, um, but that's kind of that's also kind of crazy for him just to drop that in a radio interview. Yeah, I think he said it was like a light high ankle is what he called it. So uh, yeah. he was trying to downgrade the significance of it. Light. I will say if <laughs> okay. it is a le- if it's a legit high ankle sprain, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be practicing. This yeah. Week. So that will know a lot more there. You know, uh, Stephen said Monday that he was he was been cleared, good to go to practice. And so they haven't any had any av- availability this week. So uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, as we record this on Tuesday, uh, we're going to have some availability. So we'll find out there. But if he's out there practicing, it doesn't really matter what anybody else is saying. It's not a high ankle sprain if he's out there practicing, you know, or it might or or maybe it's something that's similar to a high ankle sprain, but it's nowhere near that. Because if you have a high ankle sprain, you're, you're going to shut that guy down for several weeks. You're not going to have him going out there and, uh, you know, making it worse. Not to mention, I don't even know how effective he would be if he has a legit high ankle sprain. But what was the first part you asked KT about on the radio, Jerry? Oh, the Michael Gallup thing. Which, yeah, which, I, yeah. I just, man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> that it, If there's a Super Bowl week one and he's going out there, it's strictly as a decoy. And I don't even know if he, I don't think he's even at full speed right now. And when he talked last week at that blue carpet event, like that did not sound like a guy that was returning within the next week or so. Uh, that That sounds like a guy that knows. I mean, he was, he, there was no shadow of a doubt unequivocally just says there's no way I'm playing week one back in training camp. So I maintain he's missing the first two for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play until the fourth or fifth game. The reason that you don't put him on pup is so that he can, when he does come back, he can practice. I was reading something the other day because I was, I wanted to just see kind of what things are going on in Tampa. And, you know, they talk about Godwin, like doing individual drills. Gallup's not even close to doing that stuff. You know, because because they're talking about Godwin's got a chance to potentially play week one. You know, he obviously had a knee injury, too. Um, but no, I mean, Gallup's not even doing that. I mean, we see him on cords, but he's not doing anything like really hardcore or anything like that. And you certainly don't want to rush that guy back. I mean, especially after what you've just paid him. Like, you don't want to rush him back to just get him out there because you need another wide receiver. And, and he's not himself or he suffers a setback. So even if it was the Super Bowl week one. Yeah, like he would be on the roster and you might start him and put him out there for like a few plays, but he would not be very effective because uh, if he was, we'd at least see him doing some individual drills. And, and they went with eight at wide receiver. Obviously, James Washington, uh, that'll all change. Uh, we would like to add uh, TJ Vasher into this wing of the Oxnard uh, Marriott Hotel <laughs> for the annual award of wide receiver that catches everyone's eyes in the first week but ends up getting cut. TJ Vasher, you join the likes of Jalen Guyton, Lance Lenore, and many others over the years. Uh, I thought it would have been Dennis Houston, and he made the team. Yeah, Dennis made it. The TJ got cut. So the guys yeah. that get cut – after catching oh, everyone's okay. so eyes, the only and ones one, eligible. All right. they get the they get their plaque hung up at the Marriott. <laughs> I hope they the wish Oxnard they still had one. I would call it the Lance Lenore Award, though, because I feel like he did it a couple yeah. of times at least, and he was probably the most impressive. Like you really thought you had something with Lance Lenore. Let's also uh, let's also compare it to this team. <laughs> Make your jokes about Lance Lenore. He probably makes this team. Yeah, he was just on teams where they had some good receivers. You know, hey. I'll give you a little positive ray of light here, uh, potential here. What if Cavante Turpin completely just saves their season? I'm telling you, man. Because when you think about what he can do as a punt and kick returner, and then you talk about like a quick passing game, like trying to send bubble screens and things to him and stuff like that. like Secret weapon. Because here's my thing about him is it's like, I understand this isn't college football. You're not going to just throw some little dump off pass and he's just going to be juking guys like it's Reggie Bush against Fresno State. I'm not an idiot, but I'm just saying that he does command respect when he's out there. And and even when he motions and things like that, like you have to be you have to respect his speed because he can turn. I'm not like, again, the difference, I guess I'd say with the Reggie Bush Fresno State thing is like you can turn that 10, 15, 20 yard gain into a home run touchdown. In the NFL, you're probably going to turn nothing, 
uh, maybe a loss of one into six or seven yards. And those add up, you know? And so that's something that you, it just would be funny if he ends up having this huge role and he, and he ends up being one of the best kick and punt returners in the NFL this season, because this is a guy that like you didn't even have on your team, you know, going into training camp. And then all of a sudden he, he just kind of, you're just like, Oh damn, like the, where did this come from? And, and how come nobody else just thought about bringing him in? Will, will they use him more than Tavon Austin? <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think they will. And and, and he's better be than Austin was. And it might be out of necessity. At that point. Yeah, I feel you know, like yeah. they might be limited, especially early in the season. It might might be out of necessity, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, they're just going to have to play a different game. You know, it's just not going to be the game that you saw with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. It's going to have to be like a, you know, some of those teams that you've seen uh, that, that just play really good defense. Uh, they take advantage of turnovers and they flip the field with, a, a really good punter and, and, and someone who's very good at, at punt and kick returns that can, that can, you know, change games that way. But I will say, if you're going to play that style of football, you probably got to take care of the ball really well. And you got to be a lot more disciplined in terms of the penalties. You can't be just giving up drives early on because you got a holding call right away or Dak gets sacked and you don't get any momentum going and you don't even eat up any clock and boom, you're punting the ball right back. So you're going to have to be really sound on offense. You might not have the big plays, but you're going to have to be sound and take care of the football and and you could win that way. And and hey, because they are in the NFC East, they're going to be in this thing right to the end because yeah. it is going to be one of the worst divisions again. I mean, I already thought the Giants and, and Washington were going to be bad. And then they, you know, Thibodeau gets that injury. I mean, we don't know about with Saquon Barkley. Like, is he finally going to be healthy or not? And then the same thing with, with Washington. I mean, I don't think you can draft better on the defensive line. And then now Chase Young's already out again. So it's like, it certainly looks like a two-team race. So as bad as things might look, even after the first two games of the season, they're probably still going to be in this thing all the way to the end. Did you did you guys see that catch he made in the practice? I think it was against the Chargers. Cooper Rush like rolled out left and threw it up for Turpin, and he just like rain caught it. I mean, that guy's got some some receiving ability. Yeah. By the I way, think they're I, acting I, like he has nothing in the receiving game, but I think the guy can can catch the ball. I just Go don't ahead. see Dak throwing down the field very much to. Uh, shorter receivers and running backs. Remember, that was always the thing with Beasley. It's like Beasley in training camp is adding the deep ball and stuff like that. And just Dak was never really big on throwing it to him uh, and those smaller receivers like that. That's why I've always kind of wondered, is you know this Tony Pollard in the slot thing, is it really going to materialize like people hope for and things like that? And that's why I think Gallup's such a good fit. I think Dak really likes that big body receiver uh, down the field. And so with Turpin, I think he can do some of that, but I think where you're going to see the biggest impact is on screen game, things like that, where they can basically, oh, your offensive line sucks. All right. So a run will be like kind of throwing it out to this guy. And if I can get a Noah Brown, who's a really good blocker, and then another, maybe it's Simi, maybe it's somebody, another receiver out there. You kind of, you, you play the numbers game and you've got your receivers blocking against DBs as opposed to it being all on your offensive line. That's obviously can't be your whole running game, but that can be wrinkles that can kind of keep defenses on their toes instead of them just being like, oh, wow, we're just, man, we're sending eight and we're pinning our ears back because they're not going to be able to block all these guys at all. This is going to be a disaster. But if you add some of those wrinkles in there and all of a sudden a Turpin takes one of those, turns it into 30, 40 yard gain, well, that's going to change what the defense is going to do against you real quick. Yeah. By the way, real quick on on uh, on the bold takes about offensive weapons. Um, I, I thought Jake Ferguson had a really good preseason, and, and you know if they do try to go to this, you know, try to utilize a two tight end offense a little bit more. Where obviously, if if Schultz and Ferguson can be um, decent options in the passing game, and also help chip on the offensive line, help on those fr- fronts, help both tackles. Um, I think that's that's also a, a sneaky option that they could do, where they kind of transition their offense to a little bit more of a two tight end offense, especially until Gallup does come back. And then if Gallup comes back, and I know we talk about how much they're lacking on weapons, but then if you have, if you're basically three deep with CD, um, Gallup and Turpin on wideouts, and uh, in terms of weapons, actual weapons, maybe Jalen Tolbert breaks out, whatever, but those three, then you have Schultz and Ferguson, then Pollard and Zeke, all of a sudden you have something to at least work with. And then now you're just kind of concerned with the offensive line, but I do think Jake Ferguson is someone who could have a sneaky good year because he he's looked pretty good. The the only issue I have there is you need for all of that to work too. I think Gallup has to come back and be like old Gallup. There can't be he can't just kind of be okay and just kind of like he has to be a number two wide receiver. And 
maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does, but it's not until later in the season. They, they're going to need that one. And then the other thing out of all of that is they need all those pieces you said to stay healthy because I'm sorry, but what we've seen from this front office, uh, when I say I mean Jerry and Stephen Jones, because uh, I want to be clear about that because I really think if if Will McClay's the GM and he has that title and he's get has all the power of a GM, I don't think he would go 100% just draft. I think he would yeah. occasionally do a, an aggressive move to you know add a piece. But as they're currently constructed, if you have like a Gallup that you know is going to be out for the season, let's say they lose Turpin or lose Pollard or Zeke or something like that, what they've showed us this offseason, they're not going to go out and make any significant addition to try and make up for that loss. So it's like everyone needs to stay healthy and it just, I don't know, man, the, the game is just so physical. It just seems like wishful thinking to hope that that, that happens. You know I mean? Look at last year with just Tony Pollard and Zeke, like, yeah, they played, but they both were nicked up and you know, they weren't a hundred percent for, for, for stretches. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It just with this offensive line struggling, like you mentioned with the Ferguson thing. Yeah. He, he's a good blocker. He could stay in block. Zeke's a great blocker. He could stay in block. But you need receivers down the field that can win one-on-ones in those situations. And that's great when you have Amari Cooper, a healthy Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. But if it's Simi Fajoko, Dennis Houston, and then CeeDee Lamb on some plays where he's completely gassed because he can't come off the field, I just don't know how effective that part's going to be. It's real just weird. It's just like changing, reprogramming the way your mind has worked from covering this team or watching this team or cheering for this team over the years where – now the defensive line feels a little bit stacked, and maybe stacks a little extra. You 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 like maybe a little more pass rush that was proven compared to the offensive line, though. You're like, oh, the defensive line has the edge. You're kind of feeling pretty good about cornerback and safety and what they've assembled there. Meanwhile, the questions are about at wide receiver. Um, it's just kind of it's just different, you know. It's 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 hard to. Especially safety, by the way, like safety, yeah. like I remember whenever we were doing the podcast, when we were talking about drafting certain safeties and, and will they, or will they not? And we're, we're just constantly talking about like, you know, all those guys back in, back in the late two thousands and how they haven't drafted a safety since like Roy Williams and, and all this stuff. And all of a sudden they're, they're so deep at safety um, of all positions that that's probably a top two, three deep group on this team. And, uh, and and you're right. Now, offensive line is is kind of where it's at, and and, and the receivers. Um, also, John, you, you had an article up as well. And John's got a lot of stuff up this week, of course. But a, a article up as well about the ten Cowboys who surprised the most during training camp and preseason. Uh, I want to talk for a second about Peyton Hendershot. Hey, real quick on that. You know, yeah. like it's so nice and neat in a headline side. I know, you know, it's like to throw like a nice even number, like a 10 in there or 15 or 20 or like that. So sometimes when I do that stuff. I'll be like, man, I'm really stretching on this guy, but it, it sounds better if I got 10 instead of eight. The reason I'm bringing it up is because I literally think that there were 10 guys that surprised. I thought it was those 10 and I would not, I will not take an argument for another guy. Like I thought those were clearly <laughs> the 10, like it just worked perfectly. I was like, man, these are the 10, like these are the 10 that I feel like. I didn't feel like there was any stretching. Like I really think unquestionably, and you know, I haven't even looked back at that now that you say that I'm pretty sure almost all those guys made the team too. Uh, they did. Well, 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 there's, there's one, um, Malik Davis. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That would be the one. Uh, but everyone else did. And, and we, you know, Hendershot's the surprise because we thought McEwen would be there and McEwen, I don't know if his knees, fine then I'm sure his training camp was probably fine and and I don't know that's hard to predict but it was it sounds like they're gonna get him back it sounds like he's gonna be a practice squad guy that um he'll he'll be back for them and 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 to be honest with you that also goes with what you were just talking about earlier Sad, on on the the flipping of the positions and I went into you know even right after the draft if they after they got Hendershot if they got Ferguson thinking like man tight end is gonna be kind of weak probably be Sprinkle McCune like you really don't know what Schultz I mean that's why they gave Schultz the franchise tag because they were you know nervous about the position obviously their plans were to have Blake Jarwin in that group and now you look at it and you're like damn like those three tight ends and then McCune on the practice squad like Position's pretty strong. Yeah. Also, on those for that ten, by the way, when I was reading that, I kind of like once I got down a, a little bit, I almost thought John was going to pull some kind of like uh, some kind of thing out of his bag in terms of like having like Garibay on the on there because like he just surprised for like the wrong reasons or something. Because no, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Like I. 
Because I couldn't think like, because, you know, anytime I read stuff like that, especially when it's, you know, teams that I'm like covering or around or whatever, I'm like putting, and I couldn't think of 10 guys. Like, I think I got like, I think I got like seven, eight deep and I was like, and I was like, okay. And then, but obviously I'm not out at camp um, the way you are. So you, you have a good grasp on it, but I thought you were going to pull some, pull, pull something like that where it's like, yeah, this guy just shocked how terrible he was. Hey, that's uh, a good one though. I, I actually, I, I. I regret now that I didn't have that in there. That would have been a good one. That was a huge surprise. The fact that how quickly, not even, there's just no way I would have said he didn't get to the first preseason game. If he bombed in the first preseason game and they moved on, I'd be like, hey, they gave him a chance, whatever. But he didn't even get to the first preseason game. So, yeah, no, that was interesting. You guys watching this House of the Dragon? You guys in on that stuff? I'm in on it. uh, John, I want to ask you about uh, Hard Knocks, man. Lions, what are you thinking yeah. of of Dan Campbell? Oh, yeah. Are you guys watching it? I was watching the first episode, and he's talking about how he got in the league, and it's like, man, this this if if he ever becomes something, it'll be another one that kind of got away from Jerry with the the Parcells coaching tree. He was here, you know. Um, it's uh, he seems like a very very uh, demanding coach, but a guy that um, knows exactly what he wants. And uh, I, I respect the hell out of that from uh, from Dan Campbell. But John, what are you, what have you thought of of Hard Knocks so far? I've only watched the first one, uh, and I thought it was pretty good. But it just, I mean, it's good for the reasons, like you said. I mean, Dan Campbell is a huge personality. He could be coaching um, the smallest, you know, high school team in in some small town in Texas that nobody's ever heard of, and he's going to be interesting because he just has so much energy on the field and in those interviews. Uh, in the in the training room, um, but obviously having Aiden Hutchinson be a high draft pick, uh, you know, very. I mean, he should be up for you know defensive rookie of the year all season. He, I mean, make an impact right away. He's got a lot of young players, so it doesn't surprise me that it's that the first episode I saw was pretty entertaining. Uh, the only thing I will say though is just when I see that stuff with Dan Campbell, I like it because a lot of stuff he brings up is certainly going to hit home with longtime fans of the team because they're so used to them being down. And he, he, you know, he just expresses that in a, in a good way. Uh, so there is a lot of, you know, the grit thing and get you, I can see how people would get behind it. It just, I just don't know of a coach that's really doing it that way. That's winning in the NFL. That's, that's my only part there where I'm just kind of like, mm. it's kind of the way in a way, a little bit how I feel uh, about the dolphin situation. Cause I'm a big fan, but like who, what coach is like really winning that's kind of being that way, you know? I mean, I guess Sean Payton a little, I mean, I'm sorry, Sean McVay a little bit, but the whole like, I don't know. Uh, we'll see though. I mean, it can't be any worse. I mean, it's the Lions. It's pretty much only up from here. Yeah, I will say it, uh, it if anything, it, it's a palate cleanser from Patricia. Like, like I think, oh, God. you know, just know, like I know a little bit about like, you know, how players have felt in that organization about, um, some of those coaches and and some of the people in there and and uh, and it's and and Campbell is a big upgrade just from a player buy-in morale all that standpoint. Um, they really do like him, so um, I, I think if, if at the least he's a palate cleanser. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that made me. I was thinking about that yesterday about the whole uh, kind of with the Cowboys off season, how little they did. And then now with this tyrant injury, and then they're not going to do anything to improve that situation. When this doesn't work out, and we're all sitting here, like, is anybody going to really be that surprised? Like, we're looking around like, wow, this is, well, no kidding, it didn't work out. Look, at they didn't do this, 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 and this. And yeah. I feel the same way with the offensive coordinator position with the Patriots. You know, like, <laughs> well, it might be Patricia. <laughs> It might be, it might be Joe Judge. Like when this doesn't work out, who's going to be like, oh my God, Mac Jones sucked this year. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Like they're still having announced who the offensive coordinator. It's so ridiculous. It's like Lovey Smith coaching the Texans. Like, it's probably not going to go well for Lovey. (laughs) Oh, I think it's way worse than that. Wouldn't you agree, Sad? Yes. With Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. I think it's way, I don't think you can find something worse than that, to be honest with you. I would put it in the worst category there is. The only thing that's the saving grace there is that you have Bill Belichick as the head coach. So you feel like if it doesn't work, he'll, he can quickly transition and go another direction. But like to have those two guys battling for offensive coordinator, and here we are approaching week one, and they're still not saying who the offensive coordinator is. Like when that fails, like I don't think anybody's going to be that surprised. Speaking of Cowboys, uh, you know, uh, people who are affiliated with the Cowboys, does Eberflus turn around the Bears? 
The 3-0 in the preseason, a lot of hype in Chicago right now as somebody who produces a Bears podcast and gets all the comments. And there's a lot of optimism so far. Uh, Matt Eberflus seems to be like not winning a lot of press conferences, but Matt Nagy won a lot of press conferences and didn't win a lot of games. So <laughs> that seems to uh, kind of be the vibe there in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the where the direction it had been going for the last few years, I mean – almost any change is going to be better. So I would think that, yeah. I mean, it's just the thing is like, I like Matt Eberflus a lot. He's one of my favorite assistants that the Cowboys have had since I've covered the team. Um, so I mean, I think he's a really good coach, but you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you're just like, tell me what Justin Fields is. I'll tell you how good the bears are, you know, yeah, like I think if, Luke Getzey could be a really nice get for them. KT yeah. from green Bay, who they got uh, their no, offense, absolutely. offensive coordinator. Absolutely. We are getting close. Next week, we'll do roster tiers. Look forward to that. We'll have uh, all the latest news from another week of practice because, uh, you know, we're creeping up on this thing, getting real close to Sunday night, September 11th for uh, week one, Cowboys and Buccaneers on Sunday night football uh, with Mike Tirico in the booth there um, uh, with Collinsworth. And we'll, we'll broadcast shakeup this year. Football's going to be a little weird this year. We're going to put Thursday night games on Amazon. Everyone, everyone buckle up. Uh, so we'll get you ready for that next week. Roster tiers and all of that kind of fun stuff. You can follow John and all of his work on the athletic at John Mashoda as well. Sod is in the mix at Sod Yusuf one, two, six. And that one, two, six on there. Yusuf Y O U S U F. At Ken Garrison, follow him. Give that a Mad About Movies podcast to listen while you're at it. And I'm KT. I am in on House of the Dragon, KT. Are you? Sorry, I cut you off there earlier with Hard Knocks talk. I wanted to make sure we got football talk in first. Episode two, a little talky for me. A little talky. But uh, yeah, good so far. Episode one was outstanding. It's it's just hard to know the names of these characters. Is there anything in there that reminds you of the Cowboys? Is there anything that there's anything that you can cross over with that... Maybe there's some Cowboys tie-in? Nothing like Succession, which literally <laughs> reminds me of the Cowboys. I, I still haven't oh, watched that. that seriously and I've heard so family. many people say that. Oh, my gosh. And I feel, like, I feel like I need to just watch that just because I'm a Cowboys beat writer for no other reason. But, yeah, the I haven't gotten to that The first season, John, have you not seen the first season? I haven't watched any The first of it season yet. is about, like, they have their dad is the guy who runs the entire company – and he's kind of in his last years, and it's all the kids trying to trying to work their way in to be the next, you know, successor. Basically, it's the exact dynamic that's going the on old, with the freaking the Cowboys front office. It's amazing. The older brothers, Stephen, is there. Like uh, you have the the younger brother, uh, which is played by Macaulay Culkin's brother in real life, yeah, uh, Kieran. You have uh, the, the daughter, sister. Shiv. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the daughter uh, and the sister, I guess. Uh, you have your Charlotte, and there's the there is a kid. <laughs> I mean, it's Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. He is playing uh, basically his. It's his dad, but it was in another marriage. But still, you can just connect the dots there. <laughs> it's like, whoa! This is. It sounds like an athletic article, uh, John. In, in I turn it on. I turn it on the first episode, like the oldest son that you're saying. He like starts talking about how like guys the salary cap is real and I'm just like oh my god KT <laughs> was right this is exactly like it. <laughs> yeah it is amazing when uh, the actor Brian Cox not the former Bears linebacker he always <laughs> says I ain't got time to have a bad time oh I would love that all the Jerryisms are in there well uh, guys have a good week everyone be safe out there you can find us all on social media we'll talk to you all throughout the week we like talking Cowboys with you guys. We'll be back for another episode of About Them Cowboys next week. Goodbye? Yeah, goodbye. I fucked it up.